that. Uh, friends, go ahead and take a seat. Uh, before we get rolling, uh, I have a little video clip that it, it's a video on YouTube. It kind of went viral a couple years ago, but uh, I'd love to just start with it because uh, I think it'll help us maybe uh, just dive into this scripture a little more. So um, let's go ahead and watch. Listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time. And if I go out at the, at the house or the door, Matthew has his toys. And then Matthew has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Linda, Linda, listen, listen, listen. Be, listen, you, listen, listen, Linda, listen. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can't trust everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. Look at if we do something, if you get that out that birthday off, you're gonna break it. Okay, but I'm asking I'm letting you know but that I'm you cannot you know, Linda, no Linda, I'm look it, look it. You're not listening to me. Linda Listen to me now. Listen to me now. Listen to me. No. Okay, well, praise God. Uh, parents, how many of you guys can resonate? Uh, quite a few of you. Uh, if that was me as a child, there's, I think, like just a few seconds later, she's like, because you're not listening, I'm going to give you pow-pow. And I was sitting there thinking while I watched the video, yeah, I would have gotten pow-powed a lot sooner the second I called my mom by her name. Um, and, and so I love that video because he's just really trying to persuade her. He's really just trying to say, mom, listen, Linda, listen, listen, I have something to tell you. And while he maybe doesn't have the greatest communication skills because he's probably like three or four years old and he maybe doesn't uh, actually respect his mom a ton in the middle of that communication he still has something that he's eager to share to her he has something that he's trying to convince her and to say listen you need to hear what I have to tell you and so as we've walked through the book of Acts over the last year and a half or so we're almost done praise the Lord Um, but as we've walked through we've come to see that we as God's people also have a message to proclaim, something to share, something to tell people about as God has sent his people out from the beginning of the book of Acts uh, all the way to where we are today, where we see Paul standing before King Agrippa with a message to share where he begs him to listen patiently. So uh, some of you might be in the room who have been friends or family or whoever who uh, have been around someone who maybe has dragged you to church and said, hey, uh, I want you to hear about this Jesus that I've given my life to. And you might be thinking, thinking, why do you keep trying to convert me? Why do you keep trying to tell me about this Jesus? And it's because us as Christians, as uh, all of us in the room who know Jesus, have a relationship with him. It is our greatest hope that people would come to see the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, the Lord of Lords, who has died and risen again, who gave us everlasting life. And it is our hope that our friends, our family, everyone around us would come to see Jesus and that they would come to worship him as well. And so in Acts 26 this morning, we have an an example to look at in Paul and how he has a conversation with King Agrippa, because at times it, it can be quite difficult uh, for us to manage and think through, okay, how do I actually have a conversation with someone about Jesus Christ? And so we have an example to look to here with Paul. And so we're going to see Paul's example in kind of uh, three different segments. So our table of contents this morning is chapter one is going to be, how do we interact with people? Uh, chapter two is going to be, hey, uh, what do we say in the third and final section? How do 
do we respond? So if you would, please read with me again, Acts chapter 26, verses 1 to 3. It says this, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and the controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So the first point we see this morning is how to interact with people. How do we interact? Uh, so the last couple of weeks, we've been walking kind of through the, this section of the story where the Apostle Paul has gotten to Jerusalem. He was arrested. He had a trial before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then that got kind of heated. So then uh, he went and was taken to uh, the governor Felix of Greece, and then he spent time in jail for two years. Then Festus, the new governor of Greece, or the governor of that section, where they were at, uh, kind of pulls in. And so they're talking and he's kind of like, I don't know what to do with this guy. So he goes and grabs King Agrippa, says, I need your help. And that's kind of what Ricky walked us through last week as uh, um, Festus and Agrippa kind of talked about, hey, what do we actually do with this guy, Paul, who's talking about Jesus, this hope of the resurrection, and it's causing a bunch of controversy. What do we do? So that conversation ends at the end of chapter 25 with Agrippa going, okay, I need to see him. I need to hear from him myself. And so we start this interaction here as Paul's been in jail. He spent time, time and time again waiting to proclaim Jesus to the ends of the earth, and he's patiently waited up until this point where he starts talking to King Agrippa. Agrippa gives him permission, and he says, hey, all right, you can give your defense. And I love the interaction between Paul and Agrippa here, especially how he starts it, because he demonstrates a ton of kindness. You kind of maybe read those first three verses, and you think, okay, is he just trying to butter Paul up? Like, what's he doing? It sounds like he's just kind of trying to throw a bunch of compliments at him. Uh, but I don't think he's trying to deceive Paul or to deceive King Agrippa at all. I think Paul is actually just really respecting Agrippa and who he is. He's the king of the Jews uh, who oversees the, uh, Jerusalem at that point in time. And so you're kind of wondering, okay, aren't they under Roman oppression? How does that actually work? And so Rome wouldn't come in and totally wipe out the community and their governing laws and all of that stuff, but they would oversee they'd tax them. And so uh, Agrippa would kind of work hand in hand with the, with the Romans in order to make sure that everything's going well and everything's uh, falling in pieces together. And so there's this weird conversation interaction where they're like, how do we do this? And so that's where we're at in this point today, uh, where they're talking with each other. And I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from Paul as he interacts with King Agrippa here in these first three verses. So the first thing that I think that we can learn from Paul's example is how to respect people. Uh, and and we, as we interact with people, uh, we have a desire to share the hope of Jesus Christ with them as believers. We have a desire to tell them of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. And so here, Paul sets an example for us as he has a conversation with Agrippa, and he's very respectable, he's kind, he minds his manners. And so for us, as well as believers, to take Paul's example and to mind our manners as we have conversations with others about Christ. 
Now, we live in a world that's heated. Uh, You can start talking with something about somebody, and it can be about anything, and if it's a hot topic, uh, you might just be in for an argument for the rest of your life uh, with some people, or you might be shut down and shut out, and it's kind of like, okay, well, that went pretty well. Um, (laughs) And so this is why it's crucial for us as believers to continue to be respectable towards others, to care for people, to love them in the way that we speak and have conversations with one another. Now, I get it. Uh, We want to share the gospel with them. We desire to share who Jesus is and what he's done uh, for them. We desire to share the truth with them. uh, But at the same time, we should also respect them, care for them, listen to them, and actually engage in real conversation, not just shutting people down. That's the example that Paul kind of has for us. And it's all throughout scripture that we as believers are called to to actually watch our tongues, watch our mouths, to watch how we speak with one another to be kind with our words. Remember, we are ambassadors of Christ. And if we just go beating people up with how we talk, how does that reflect on Jesus? It doesn't reflect well at all. And so I just want to go through a couple of Proverbs that just talk about how we should speak with others. And there's several of them, but I just picked a small handful out. But here's a couple of them. Where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. The mouth of the righteous produces wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. The lips of the righteous know what is appropriate, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. With his mouth, the ungodly destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, uh, the righteous are rescued. The words of the wicked are are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the upright rescues them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. All of these just remind us of the call to actually be loving with our words, Uh, whether it's like an actual gospel conversation with someone and and trying to share Jesus with them, uh, to actually care and be compassionate how you're speaking to them, or whether you're on Facebook and social media and you're in the comment section and you're just railing after somebody, like Jesus doesn't have that for us. We shouldn't be rolling that way as believers, but we should be speaking the truth in love and seasoning our speech with soul and continuing to care for people with how we speak to them and the manners in which we roll. Uh, Now, uh, this is true for us to take, and I know what some people might be thinking is like, well, Alex, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus is offensive. So I should expect people to be offended and angry at me. Yeah, the gospel is offensive, but that doesn't mean you need to be offensive. Uh, Friends, that's the reality. If someone's offended by uh, me rather than being offended by the message, that's an issue. Uh, And so we as believers need to be reminded that uh, we need to speak the truth in love. It doesn't say speaking the truth is love. I think speaking the gospel is loving and the most loving thing we could do for people. But it doesn't mean we should just walk around with our Bibles and just start smacking people over the head with it. Like that does no good. But scripture calls us to speak the truth in love to those who are around us to care for them in that way. Um, And so that's who we are supposed to be. And that's the first example we learn from Paul to respect those who we're having conversation with, whether it's on social media and you can hide behind a computer screen or whether it's actually in person and having a real dialogue with somebody to speak the truth and love, to respect them. That's Paul's example here is he has that conversation with Agrippa. He considers himself fortunate before the king to make his defense, to have an actual conversation. Now, I'm not the greatest example of this. 
Uh, I can have a pretty sharp tongue, and I don't hide my emotions very well on my face. You could ask my wife. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, I want to say something, but I shouldn't. Um, and she kind of knows it. And so uh, th those are good moments that I can catch my tongue. But when I don't catch my tongue, it's not good. Um, and so those are things that we just need to process through. And as I was sitting in Acts 26, um, Man, the Lord moved in such a really cool way over the last week and a half in my life. I've shared with y'all before about a, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends from college. He was a roommate, not the roommate that I talked about the last week, but a different roommate. And um, as we've had conversations about Jesus over the years, um, I was not a great witness in the early years. Now, I was uh, like, he would ask me questions and I just kind of like, pa, just shoot him with answers and just shut him down. It was just not very kind. And it led to points to where he was just like, I, I just can't talk about like God with this guy. Um, and now the Lord is gracious and compassionate and kind to the point to where we've been able to have uh, conversations again about what God's doing. And over the last week and a half, I'm sitting in this text studying and the Lord just moved in such a beautiful way that he opened a door to where I was able to have a conversation again with my friend. And as I'm sitting there texting him back and forth and we're thinking about different, I'm asking him questions on what he's processing about the Bible and the scripture and who God is. Uh, I just kept reminding myself, don't be sharp with your words. Remember that the gospel is offensive, but you don't have to be offensive and respect and love him well. And so that's, that's the call for us to continue to respect and love those around us. The second example that we see from Paul, uh, just in this short, small section here, is that we should know our audience. We should know our audience. Uh, he carries out the conversation in such a way that he addresses Agrippa, knowing that Agrippa is going to understand what he's saying, right? He says in verse three, especially since you are very knowledgeable about the Jewish customs and controversies. Paul knows that Agrippa, being the king of the Jews, right, is going to know all the history, what a Pharisee is, Jewish culture, all of that. And so Paul targets his gospel presentation, his conversation, in a way that Agrippa is going to understand what he's actually talking about. Paul does this actually quite often as he has conversations with people. And when he goes to Athens a couple chapters earlier, what's he do with, with uh, the Greeks there? Well, he quotes Greek philosophers. Then at the end of this section in verses 24 and 25, uh, Festus has no idea what Paul's talking about because the Greeks didn't believe in a resurrection. So clearly Paul is speaking to Agrippa in a way that makes sense to him. And so we can take that and we should learn that, hey, as we communicate as we have conversations with others that our communication should be like actually knowing who the person is and realizing hey i have to know what questions they're asking uh, because if i just start throwing a bunch of answers at them that they don't really care about it does really no good at all um, and so we have to know exactly and understand what people are really thinking about. And sometimes in Christian circles, uh, we start throwing out a bunch of like Christianese language. And if we use it as we talk to people who don't go to church regularly or don't know Christ or have never opened the Bible, they're going to be like, I have no idea what you're saying. Uh, and so to actually define our words and define our speech and explain what we're saying is crucial and important as we have conversations with people. Think of it this way. If one of y'all just walked in to the kids ministry uh, and started teaching on like the doctrine of election or started telling a bunch of historical facts about like the scriptures and the Dead Sea Scrolls and all that stuff, more than likely most of those kids are going to be like, what are you telling me about that for? 
Like, they're just not going to care at all. Uh, some of them may grasp it and be like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, but most of them are just going to be like, I just want to hear, like, the story. Tell me the narrative. Um, and, and it's the same thing as we have conversations with adults, with friends, with family, as we have conversations with them to keep in mind who our audience is. Uh, Matthew Smethurst, he puts it in a good way. He, when he's talking about evangelism, he says this. He said, God loves you is great news but it's meaningless if you don't understand who God is. You are a sinner is true. It won't make any sense if you don't understand what sin is. You need a savior is the greatest news of all. That not that you just need one, but that there is one, but that the gospel, uh, but that's not going to resonate if you don't know what you need saved from. You see, as we engage in conversations with people, as we go out and continue to go forward and share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, if we don't define our language, if we don't actually understand what questions they might be asking, uh, it really isn't going to help them at all. If someone's not asking questions about the creation of the earth, why would I spend 20 minutes dialoguing with them about Genesis 1 through 3? Like, they're, it, it just, like, if they're more worried about why Jesus says, hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood, why do you Christians take communion? That's kind of weird, and you're busy talking about, like, creation. It just doesn't track. And so we need to continue to actually understand our audience. That's the example that Paul kind of shows us here, um, to, to understand our audience, to respect our audience, and to care for them well. So that's how we interact. Um, so as we have those conversations, as we care for them, as we continue to love on them, how do we, like, what do we actually say? What do we actually talk about then? How do we engage in real conversation with people? Because it's great when we're asking questions and getting to know them and uh, trying to figure out exactly what type of questions they're answering. But sometimes it can be quite scary or just earth shattering and kind of go, okay, I have no idea what to say next. I have no idea how to bring Jesus into this conversation. So let's look at Paul's example and how he brings Christ into the conversation. Uh, read with me verses 4 to 23. It says this. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise our 12 tribes hope reach as they are earnestly serve him at night or but. As they reach, they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I received authority from that the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and commission from the chief priest, King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and uh, will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and that they may uh, receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and those in Jerusalem and in the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I've had help from God and stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah would suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. So the second point we see today is we learn what to say. In this section, Paul begins by defending himself. He says, okay, I need to defend myself here. I'm kind of on trial. I'm having this conversation with King Agrippa. And he, again, just to highlight this, he pulls to his Jewish roots. He goes back to go, okay, I need to present the gospel in a way that he's actually going to understand what I'm saying. So he appeals to him, letting him know, hey, I was a religious leader. I was a Pharisee. I've been a Jew from the beginning of my life. You can go and ask them. And I'm on trial because of the hope that God has promised. I'm on trial because of the hope of the resurrection, that God raises the dead, that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. So what Paul is basically getting at is he's saying, hey, my faith in Jesus is not uh, in complete contradiction and in violation to the Jewish heritage. It's actually all from the Old Testament promises that the Messiah rose from the dead. The Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection, uh, but the Sadducees didn't. We saw that in chapter 22, where there was this argument between the two. But Paul talks about how he was a Pharisee, how he pursued Christians, ran after them, pushed for their murder, put them in jail. And in verse 12, Paul makes a turn, starting to talk about how Jesus is the Messiah, how Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in a mysterious, miraculous, crazy way where he totally blinded him. And he says, Paul, why are you kicking against the goats? So what does that mean? Because that's kind of like weird. Um, That sounds weird at least, but basically kicking against the goats is just an illustration, illustration that he uses. So goats are sharp sticks that were used to poke and to prod uh, to get animals to go in a certain direction. So Jesus is telling Paul, hey, why are you kicking against God's direction? Why are you resisting me? Why are you pulling away and going in a different way? Basically, Jesus is saying, stop fighting me and start following me. And so, quick side note here, for us, a question in the room to ask one another and each other in your own hearts is to go, what is it that Jesus might be asking you to put away? Where in your life is there maybe an area where he's kind of pushing and poking and prodding and you're kicking against the goats? Is there something that maybe you know, man, I I really need to turn from that sin? I really need to turn away from uh, being unloving to my spouse. I really need to turn away from being disrespectful to people at work. I really need to just put that screen away and do away with whatever it was that I was watching. What is it that you're totally rejecting what God is actually calling you to? Where are the moments in your lives where the Spirit kind of moves and there's this opportunity to either obey or disobey and to turn from Him? 
Because it happens to all of us where the Spirit will go. And we have the opportunity to either walk with Jesus or we have the opportunity to turn from him and to continue to walk away from him. So where is it maybe that Jesus is saying, stop fighting me and start following me for you? Anyway, Paul comes to worship Jesus. He continues to share his testimony and actually talk about how he came to know Jesus. He became a servant and a witness of Jesus Christ that he sent him on to proclaim the good news to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He promised him that he would protect him. And of course, God follows through on his promise, protects him time and time again, because now he's above or in front of King Agrippa. And it gets to this point uh, where he's shared his entire testimony and his story, and we're kind of left hanging, what's going to happen next? And so how does Paul engage in the conversation here? He just shares his, his, his own transformation. He shares how Jesus opened his eyes to him. He shares his own personal experience, his own testimony to what God has done in his life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Eric, one of our elders, he preached and talked about how our testimonies are crucial for when we share the gospel. God has given each and every single one of us a testimony, a personal experience with him, right? There, there's moments where God just moves in our lives and opens up our eyes and totally transforms us, and we get to come and see him and know him for who he is. I, I often hear Eric uh, talk about how he emphasizes different parts of his testimony uh, depending on his audience. So he kind of caters towards the different aspects of where God has really changed and transformed his life to where uh, he's able to actually present the gospel in a manner that'll make sense to people. It's the same thing that Paul does with Agrippa here. It's a great example for us to think about as we have conversations, what do we say? Well, one thing that we could easily say is just tell them how we met Jesus how God actually intervened into our lives, stepped in and completely removed the scales from our eyes that we could see him for who he is, that he totally just stepped down from heaven and created new life in us where we realize, man, I've been totally walking away from you my entire life, and now I see who you are. And so I'm turning my life to actually be a witness of who you are. That conversation I was having with uh, one of my, my buddy um, as we're talking uh, he's mentioning, hey, yeah, uh, I struggle because sometimes it feels like a lot of it is opinions. And so I kind of asked him, well, what, what's like the opinion that you're talking about? Are you saying uh, that the Bible's an opinion or what people say scripture says, how they interpret scripture is an opinion? And he's like, well, what people interpret scripture to say, I take that as opinions. And I'm like, okay, uh, well, there's a lot of things that aren't like really clear in scripture. There's things that are just confusing and we probably might never know what they actually mean, but there are things that are really clear. And so we started talking and he's like, I, now don't get me wrong. I, I get what you're saying, but there's a difference in your life, Alex, than there is in mine. And so uh, he kind of starts talking about you have a personal experience and I've never had one. And he's like, I won't give my life over to Jesus or God. I won't follow Christianity unless I have a personal experience with God. And that's why it's so important for us to continue to share that with people so that they see, uh, for a lot of us, it probably wasn't some super crazy big moment where the clouds just absolutely parted and the dove descended and it's like, oh! it's so clear. Like, so for some of us, maybe there was like this really cool moment like that. But uh, for a lot of us, it's just kind of like, it was just kind of gradual. Like there were moments where I, I started to see Jesus really just awake my soul. And I started to see him for who he really was. It wasn't like an instant moment. It doesn't have to be. 
but to share our experience with others uh, allows them to see, hey, God moves in actually like really unique ways to each individual's life. And as we go forward, what do we say? Well, we bring up our own personal testimony. But as we share our stories, we need to be reminded that as we share that truth, it's not about us, but we should focus on Jesus. We should focus on Christ himself and what he's done, right? Paul brings up the hope of the resurrection. It focuses on Christ himself. Friends, the entire gospel centers on Jesus Christ himself and centers on what he's done and who he is. That's why it's good news. So as you have conversations, uh, it's really easy to maybe use God language. It's really easy to say, oh yeah, God, uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, because it's, it's, the God language isn't really offensive, uh, but it's the moment where we actually bring Jesus's name into it, uh, where things get a little more clear, because we can use God language, and we can talk about it, but people will never truly understand who we're really talking about, who the Christian God actually is, what Jesus has actually done, and here, that's what Paul does. He gives us that example to actually mention Jesus Christ and the one who actually rose from the dead because it's only by the blood of Jesus that we could be saved. And so if we never mention his name, people aren't going to really know who we're really talking about. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that it all stands on the hope of the resurrection, that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it doesn't really matter. We, we would be considered just uh, dumb for not actually like for following something that wasn't real. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And if we don't bring up who Jesus is and how he rose from the dead, uh, friends, the gospel presentation doesn't actually uh, really bring to full life what it really is and what Christ has done. Granted, God can move in mysterious, crazy ways. But as we share the gospel, our challenge is to actually proclaim Christ in what he's done and how he rose from the dead and how we could have a resurrection with him as well. Because the gospel stands on Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. That he came, he lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live, that he died, stayed dead for three days, ascended from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, that we could have everlasting life with him, that he took the payment of sin that we deserved, but that Jesus died for us so that we could take on his righteousness. That's the good news of the gospel, to continue to proclaim and share the truth of who Jesus Christ is, to actually focus on Jesus, not about who we are or what we did or any of that or our experiences, but to focus on what Christ has done for us and to actually mention his name. So as we go and we have these conversations, uh, we see a bunch of different reactions and a bunch of different ways to maybe respond to people. Uh, so let's keep reading about the different responses. Uh, so let's start in verse 24. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king knows about these matters, and I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God 
replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he'd not appealed to Caesar. So the third thing that we see here uh, is how to respond. Now, we've got multiple responses here. We've got Festus, Paul's, and Agrippa's. But I mentioned earlier, Festus thinks Paul's crazy because he doesn't believe in the resurrection. And so he's kind of like, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. He's wild. He's nuts. And so how does Paul respond to him? Uh, he doesn't blow up on him. He doesn't just kind of go crazy and shut him down. But he kindly says, no, actually, like Agrippa knows what I'm talking about. And he comes back to his main audience. And I love this the most out of the conversation. Because Paul has so much confidence in how he just talked about Jesus and what Christ has done that he gets to the point to where he looks to Agrippa and he asks Agrippa to respond. He asks Agrippa to respond to Jesus. He wants Agrippa not just to hear about Jesus, but to make a decision for Jesus, to actually make a decision on who Christ is. See, Agrippa doesn't just uh, want to be, or Paul doesn't just want to be in Agrippa's good favor. Uh, that's not why he respects him. He respects him because he's a man made in the image of God, uh, but he doesn't want the king's favor, but he wants the king to actually meet his savior. Paul doesn't just stop with the story of his own conversion. But he wants Agrippa to actually experience the life-changing transformation that God brings to people when he brings people from dead to life. That's what Paul wants for Agrippa. And so he continues to persuade him and to ask him questions and to engage in that conversation. Now, I mentioned earlier that if you're a friend or family member or neighbor in the room who uh, was brought here or you're new or you've never heard of Jesus or whatever it is, uh, that it is our greatest hope that you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord, that you would come to know Jesus, that he came to save you, that the gospel isn't just good news for some people, but that it's good news to be announced to all people. Think about it. Gospel, that word means good news. News is not advice. It's very different from advice. Advice is something you share with someone and they can take it or they can leave it. News is something that you proclaim and announce and tell people over and over and over again and say, hey, I have something to share. That's what good news is. And so as we think of the word gospel, we share that news. It's not advice to just be given and someone to maybe take it in and go, oh, okay, that maybe sounds fine, but I don't like that advice. But it's good news to be proclaimed and announced to those who can continue to go forward. And so that good news is what we hope that you come to believe and see that there is a God who has come down for broken, messy people who have rebelled from him. And he's still so incredibly loving, kind, merciful, gracious, compassionate to take the cross, to take the death that we rightfully deserved. And yet he did it for us, that he would take the payment of our sin, that he would take it all on himself and that he would bear it for us on the cross and that he would defeat sin and death and completely smash it so that we could have everlasting life with him for all eternity. It is a free gift to give your life over to Jesus. It is a free gift to completely fall in love with the God who created all things. It is a free gift to turn to the King of Kings who came for you himself. It is a free gift to come and know Jesus. So it is my great hope that you would come to see Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. If you've never
never given your life to Christ, would you consider Jesus himself? That you would stop searching for hope in cars, money, sex, big house, identity and relationship, whatever. That you would come to realize that all of those things are fleeting, flawed, empty, and they won't actually sustain you and give you hope. But there is one who will, and his name is Jesus. He will give you complete hope and everlasting life with him. And it is my great hope that you would see him for who he is. That you would not uh, think that you have to be cleaned up, perfect, and have complete security before giving your life over to him, but that you would come to see that he came and he was cleaned up so that we could go to him freely and have complete hope and security in who he is. So if you're having conversations about Christ, I want to give you the same challenge that Paul does with Agrippa here to actually call people to respond, to ask them to respond to what Jesus has actually done, to take it a step further and say, what do you think about that? What do you think about Jesus? What, would you give your life over to him today? It, it's really easy to share our stories and to get to the end and go, man, this is how I experience God. This is why I believe in him. This is what he's done in my life. And then leave the conversation there. Paul didn't just share about how he grew up in church and knew all the rules and was a Pharisee and he came to know Jesus and then that was it. But he called Agrippa to respond. Agrippa goes, what? Are you hoping that I become a Christian? Are you hoping to persuade me? Yeah, it is my deep desire for you to know Jesus and not just you, but everyone. That's what he says. As I think of my friend, um, as we've had conversations over the years, it's kind of become a joke uh, now. We'll, we'll have the conversation, and he's kind of like, oh, you just, you just hope I become a Christian. You just hope I like, give my life over to Jesus, don't you? And I literally look at him, and I'm like, uh, yeah. That's why I keep talking to you about him. Um, and I'm like, I just want you to see who he is. Um, and so it's that same truth for us. It's that same hope that we would come to see people give their life over to Christ. Now, I know sharing the gospel is really scary at times. It is terrifying. Fear is real, and sometimes it can have power over us. But I want to encourage you and let you know that fear is not your king, and fear is not all-powerful, but the God and the King of kings is, and he's indwelt you with the Spirit of God, with his own spirit. Imagine that the person who shared the gospel with you, who pursued you and shared the gospel with you, was... Uh, overcome by fear, and they believed the lies of, I don't have all the answers, I don't know everything, I don't know what to say. If they were overcome with that fear and never actually had the conversation with you, where would you be today? Friends, it is good news that we can share the truth and not have all the answers. It's good news that we're reminded that Jesus himself is the one that awakes people and brings people to life. At the end of this story here, it, it's kind of not super encouraging because you read it and you're like, oh, they just like walked away. Nobody gave their life to Jesus. And there's going to be times where we, where we share the gospel and have real interactions and conversations with people. And they might call us fools, like Festus does to Paul. They might just walk away and reject Christ. Or there might be an absolutely beautiful moment where you get to witness and experience the Spirit of God totally open somebody's life and transform their life and move them from death to life. That's the great news that we get to hope and pray that Jesus would continue to save more people and that we would uh, be faithful to just share that truth with others. Friends, as you go and share the gospel with others, remember that it's not on you. 
Evangelism isn't converting people. Evangelism is just about telling people about Jesus because we're dead before we know Christ. We're just dead bodies who are sitting there. But Jesus, by the Spirit of God, he awakens those dead corpses and brings them back to life. It's like talking to a casket, right? We can talk to the casket, but only God can crack it open and actually wake that person up. It is all on him, but we're just faithful to respond to that call to actually ask them, hey, would you respond to who Jesus is? What do you think about that? Is that something that you want in your life? What do you believe about who this Jesus is? Time and time again in that video, the little boy asks his mom, Linda, Linda, listen, 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 please understand what I'm telling you. Friends, are we asking people to listen? As you go, as you have conversation, let's remember how to interact, what to say, and how to respond. Would you beg people to listen, and would you ask them to respond? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for how kind you are. God, I thank you that you've been so good to us to give us just an amazing revelation of who you are and how you've showed up and uh, you've come to save people who have been far from you, people who have rejected you, people who time and time again, even after knowing you, continue to reject you. Jesus, I thank you for the grace that you pour out onto us each and every single day, God. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us that as we go, as your people, uh, that you would remind us of those beautiful moments where you opened our eyes to see who you are. Jesus, I pray that you would give us courage to actually interact with people, to respect and to love them, to speak the truth in love and to know them, uh, to think about the actual relationship and the questions that they're asking, God, so that we could properly answer questions. Lord, would you give us words to say? Would your spirit move before us? Would you give us courage to continue to go forward and to ask them to respond in who you are, Jesus? And would you save dead souls? Would you bring new people to life? Would we be continuing to see you baptized and see you uh, just save people and then people respond in baptism? Would we celebrate and rejoice that you are still at work and changing in a city, this world, God? Would you continue to go forward and would we, would we trust you for who you are? Jesus, we just hope that you would save more people and that you would continue to move in our lives. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.